Hello, everyone. My name is Joanne Lockwood, and I'm your host for the Inclusion Bites podcast. In this series, I have interviewed a number of amazing people and simply had the conversation around the subject of inclusion, belonging, and generally making the world a better place for everyone to thrive. If you'd like to join me in the future, then please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk. That's changehappen.co.uk. You can catch up with all of the previous shows on iTunes, Spotify, and the usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decaf, and let's get going. Today is episode 41, with the title, Creating a Level Playing Field so Every Human Can Be Inspired. And I have the absolute honor and privilege to be joined by Mindy Gibbons klein Mindy describes herself as someone who encourages people to be more thoughtful in their conversations, interactions, and the way they show up in the world. When I asked Mindy to describe her superpower, she said, helping people hone down their message in a way that makes their hearts sing as well as inspiring others. Hello, Mindy. Welcome to the show. Hello, Joe. It's great to be here. We've been looking forward to this for ages. I mean, we've both been busy over lockdown, getting times in the diary. Finally, we made it. Absolutely, absolutely thrilled to have you here today. Thank you. So we were talking earlier, just before we started recording, about this creating a level playing field so every human could be inspired. What does that mean to you? Well, I think most people would uh, recognize the fact that we don't have a level playing field in various sectors, in various pockets of society, maybe the world as a whole. Uh, and I just feel that things could be different. You know, we like to not only see change happen, we want to make change happen. And one of the things that we do here is we look to inspiration because um, we work with a lot of people who want to inspire others, but they need to feel inspired. They need to feel that they're going to be given a chance, that their voice is going to be heard. Otherwise, they don't bother. So it's a real shame when someone has an important message for the world and they don't share it. And um, I'm just looking to create more opportunities so good people doing good work can inspire as many people as possible. That's what we're doing. That's so true. We often find that when we're talking to people who are from underrepresented communities, minority faith groups, even in many cases women, we don't feel that we can speak out. We don't feel like we have a voice. We don't feel like we can be listened to. And it's just, you're so right. That almost de-inspires us, doesn't it? It sort of makes us feel, well, why bother? And that's a real challenge we've got to overcome. Yeah, that, that's why I do the work I do. Yeah. And we certainly we certainly noticed it when, I mean, the George Floyd murder, the Black Lives Matter movement that developed. We had in the UK, we had the Sarah Everard murder. And we've talked about violence about women and girls is now becoming more prevalent. Do you think that people are becoming more inspired to speak out than they ever have? I think, as I say, people will feel inspired to speak out if they feel that that's going to land in a way that um, that does something. Now, now, and plenty of people can speak out nowadays. You know, since the birth of the internet. Uh, we have millions of blogs, we have millions of podcasts, you know, millions of live streams. So a lot of people are speaking out, but it, it's about what happens after that. So, you know, in the work that we do, if somebody wants to be a speaker, they really want audiences. They don't just want to be a, doing a live stream into a black hole. 
if they want to write a book, they want to see it published and they want to see it touch lives. So I really think that people have to see that level playing field or see that things are improving. You and I have been in the speaking world a long time. Uh, I used to call people out when they planned a conference and it was all, pardon me, single white men. And, you know, many people have seen that. And, you know, when I called them on it, the organizers, they would say, oh, we never even thought, never occurred to us. So, so I don't blame people for things they can't see, right? I, I, you know, there's lots of things I don't see. But if you see it and you then don't do something about it, then I, I'm, I'm here to stir things up. That's what I do. That's a really insightful statement about we can't change things we don't see. And that often comes from privilege. We, we, we look around our, our own echo chamber, our affinity of people around us. Because we're mixing with people like us, we're, we're having conversations that are similar to our own, we often find that we're not challenged by different thoughts, different viewpoints. And when we're thinking about, as you said, this conference is having an all-white Animal. People call it a manual. I heard that's kind of like the term these days. People just think that's the norm because they've never they've never seen a different way of doing things. Well, it, I work in the book world, as you know, and I'm always looking at these lists of books you must read. And this started a whole movement. Um, it, it changed the direction of both my companies, and we have a stated mission, which we can talk about later which came from seeing that something that wasn't right, something wasn't right, and I wanted to make it right or go somewhere towards making it right. But I still see these lists coming out. And the phrase that we use in my companies is this, left to chance, some people are not given a chance. There's different variants. <laughs> but left to chance, most people are not given a fair chance. And so we don't really want to see conferences and bookshelves and you know the media left to chance i see it changing in in the broadcast media in the uk i don't know if you watch tv but i'm i'm inspired and encouraged by what i've seen and i don't think it's tokenism we can talk about it i don't i really see high quality excellent standards so it's just they're trying a bit harder for equity and that's the word that is driving me, um, <laughs> driving my team insane. <laughs> it's driving me to create equity wherever it doesn't exist. I think that's brilliant. Left a chance. Most people are not given a fair chance. And, and that's where we think about allyship, isn't it? Where the responsibility of somebody who isn't of that group, community, or marginalized characteristic, the allyship is where we pick up that strain. And our role as allies is to amplify, to spotlight, to create room, to create an opportunity for voice to occur so that it doesn't become chance. It becomes a deliberate act. And I always say that inclusion is holistic, active, and deliberate because if we're not being deliberate, we're not being active about it, it's chance. As you just said, if it's left to chance, it doesn't happen. And I love that quote. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to steal that, but I will accredit you for it. <laughs> steal with pride. <laughs> yeah. No, and I think... So ally, I'm, I'm really passionate myself about allyship, around that, whether that's around female allyship, uh, whether that's about LGBT allyship, uh, black allyship or brown people or non-white people, really passionate because you're right. I've seen a huge shift in the, in the content that the BBC, I, I tend to watch the BBC in the UK. I've seen a huge shift in 
the type of programs. I was watching some in last night on how children in the 50s and 60s who are black from the Caribbean didn't receive the same level of education. I've seen ones recently around Leanne from Little Mix, when she was talking about how she felt tokenized as a as a as a black girl on the on the crew, and she didn't have any any black support. It was all white support on the team, and they really are shining a spotlight now on these inequities. And this, as you say, we don't see it, we can't change it. People just haven't seen it. And I am seeing the shift in BBC content. I'm seeing the shift in presenters, the shift in the themes. And okay, it's you can you can argue it's not going fast enough or not going far enough. But I, I've definitely seen that for the last two years. I've definitely seen the BBC's editorial and, and production as, as really really changing. Yep, that's exactly what I was thinking. I didn't mention the BBC, but that you know they're a they're a shining example for the rest of us. Uh, but we're, you know, I see a lot of things on a smaller scale, as I know you do too. And we we're both uh, inundated with requests and connections and you know, information about events happening here, there, and everywhere. So we have the chance to look at the smaller events and what's happening more locally and the things that we can influence as well. So I don't feel I have a particular influence uh, when it comes to BBC and, you know, who's reporting and what stories the producers choose. But I do have influence in lots of other areas. And for our listeners, you have influence. You may not realize it, but every interaction Every piece of communication, every time you open your mouth or type something, you you are choosing to use your influence. So it's really about choosing that in a more intelligent, not, not intelligent way, emotionally intelligent way. You know what I mean? But most people don't don't you think it's, it's not on their radar? I mean, I, I, I'm a DNI specialist. I talk about this all the time. I find myself. Sometimes you, you almost feel like you're an inclusion bore sometimes, or or people end up sort of saying, oh, I can't say that because you're here, Joanne, sort of thing. No, no, you can say what you want, but just be mindful about what you're saying. If my presence makes you double think, then that's what I'm doing. I'm not policing you. I'm just making you think while I'm here. So maybe you should think when I'm not here as well. Um, but that's that's the challenge. People don't think consciously around their language, their who they're excluding or tolerating or not really embracing, how do, we, how do we get people to sort of bring that to the front of their mind more? Because once you've had a, a life-changing moment, um, maybe an illness, maybe an accident, you suddenly become more self-aware of the space around you. But most people just progress through life just being them and never considering others in the same way. Well, you mentioned that you mentioned what happened with George Floyd, and I wrote about that in a recent ebook that I've published which, um, you know, is absolutely horrendous. And, you know, when I think about it, I still shudder. However, it did something good. It, it you know, shone that spotlight, as you were saying. And I do think it makes people more aware on a, on a permanent basis, maybe not one incident or one story. But once you, once you open the door a crack, you can then open it a bit more. If it's locked shut, you can't see anything. And I, I think it's good to help people see things. I think the work that you do is phenomenal. All of us DEI specialists. I'm, I'm not even one. Why am I including myself? Okay, I've included myself. But I, the work I do is in that area. And what I have noticed is people are willing. When you don't see it, you, you don't even know what you're not seeing, as I said. But if you are thoughtful 
about the way you bring these things up, you remember your influence and influence is a privilege, then you can, in fact, bring people into the conversation. They, I, th- I think most people really do want to be a better person, um, you know, be, do the right thing. And, you know, I think it's great when some people are role models or, you know, just showing people the way in a gentle and thoughtful way with respect. I mean, I was kind of personally a bit shocked about, you know, the BAFTAs this year and, and what, and the, and the revelations about Noel Clark, because in the past we've kind of associated this me too with older white privileged men and now suddenly we've got a young black guy who is propagating the same things that we thought was really just dis- consigned to this, the older generation. And I think that's really woken me up to the world that we've got to keep being on top of this. We can't let it slide, can we? If there's something that you notice in the world, I'll keep it really broad, really high level, and it doesn't feel right and you know it's not right, and you can do something to make it right or just to kind of shine that spotlight, then that's an opportunity. So, you know, I really don't think that you or I or any individual can create world peace or end world hunger or any of these massive things, but it does happen on a personal level with more people becoming thoughtful, becoming thoughtful leaders, doing their thing. Others will then see that and follow. And so each one is a drop in the ocean. And I I feel inspired by what I see. And uh, like yourself, I will always bring something up in conversation that, uh, you know, makes people's eyes roll or whatever. But until we have that level playing field, that's what we need to do. The funny thing, though, is how threatened some people feel. Because when I've called out these creators of the book lists, uh, and said, uh, how come there's 38 men on this list and 37 of them are white, in fact? They get defensive. And uh, in the comments, you know, I'll get haters saying, well, you know, what about us? And, you know, I just say, well, you've had 200 years of white privilege. You know, come on. <laughs> That's so true. It, it, people are afraid to give ground. And it's not about ceding privilege. It's not about giving ground. It's not about losing anything. It's about winning by everybody else getting more. That doesn't mean you can say you get less. It's, the old saying goes, it's not pie. We can, it's about creating more space, not taking your space. And it should cost you nothing to embrace and amplify somebody. It shouldn't cost you nothing to, to think about somebody else's needs and feelings because you nothing to, to accept someone else's identity, language, however they wish to be described. It doesn't cost you anything. But people feel they've, they've, they've got a – it's challenging their own rights. But it's, we've got to really change the attitude. But it's not about changing your rights. It's about giving people more access, more opportunity, less chance, as you put it. So looking out for those opportunities, you know, if you don't see it, <clears throat> don't blame yourself for not seeing something. Again, what can you do to get out of the echo echo chamber a little bit? You know, I must admit, I like hanging around with people like me. However, there are so many different aspects to me 
that I can usually find a very diverse group of people to talk to, to hang out with. It's, you know, that's one of the things that I've started doing personally, if this can help anyone, great, because uh, you will always gravitate towards people who make you feel good, people you have things in common with. But think about all the different aspects of yourself, your personality, your background, where you've traveled, your interests. So not just what you look like, your race, your gender, you know, lots and lots of things. And then by definition, you will be associating with people from lots of diverse groups. Uh, if, for example, you know, I I love Avatar, um, the film, and <laughs> that's what, you know, that I could watch that every day of my life. And when I find another Avatar fan, I don't think, oh, hang on, she's not a white gal like me. I don't, I, that would never occur to me. I just know that there's a kindred spirit there. So, and, and yeah, we can get into all of, all of Mindy's um, favorite films and books and foods. And yeah, so that's the kind of way that you can diversify yourself and, um, and your associations. As I was just today, I mean, I actually, before I say it, I'm, I quite like Avatar. I think it's a beautiful Woo-hoo! film. There's so many different dimensions, so many different dimensions to it, and just the, the romance, the the hate and stuff that's going on in there as well, and the sort of the factions, and and because they're 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 blue creatures from another world, you can address this kind of racism effectively in that film, when it's not not threatening anybody because nobody's identifying with the goodies or the baddies. Really, they're just, but they can see what's going on. And how really it's all about love winning out, opportunity winning out, and just living peacefully. We don't need to create a conflict. So no, I, I agree. With you. I think it's a, I think it's a great hidden message in there that maybe not everybody sees through to, but it, it is. It's fantastic. Um, but yeah, I forgot what I was going to say. Now, we're talking about <laughs> the diversity. Yes, I, I agree. And you said, you, when we, I mean, I'm I'm in my mid fifties. I've had a, a fairly broad experience in my life i've traveled the world a lot i know you have too i've got involved in many different things i've had several careers i've had in, uh, several careers and a couple of genders so i've, I've had a, extra dimensions in there so I, I do find that i when i talk to people who you would believe weren't like me actually there's so many things we can find in common and it's just a case of just keep probing keep probing keep asking okay Right now we've got it. We both like this. We've both have done this. We've, and we, we often don't spend enough time finding out what makes us similar, do we? That, that's the, I mean, I often use it as an icebreaker. Find out something you have in common with a person in, in your pair. Um, find out something you both like. But we, how often do we sit and have that conversation? We go straight into, oh, we, we, we both have an opposing opinion on this. Let's get stuck on it. You're right. You're right about that. I think it is. It, we're going to use one of my favorite words now, which is intention. That it, That is where it all starts. I write and speak about it all the time. We, Oh, how exciting. <laughs> Somebody believes the ice cream, ice cream, man. <laughs> <laughs> I have um, a real passion for people behaving in an intentional way. And it goes back to what I was saying about us not always remembering the power we have to choose to choose what our intention is and then act on that. And so if you go into an interaction with that question in your mind, what do we have in common? You will find things. So I, I think this is easier than most people think. I don't know about you, Joe. Yeah, no, completely. I mean, 
we, we had a conversation just before we pushed press record and it turns out you, you were well still are a gold card holder for certain airlines. And I said, well, actually I was a gold card holder for certain airlines as well. And the lounge passes and all that. So suddenly just by the fact we traveled a lot, we, we have a similar kind of gold card experience, if you like. And that, and that we wouldn't have known that without that, that brief conversation about you know, what we've been doing for the last 12 months and some of the frustrations of airports and things. But you, you do realize we've just alienated all of the, you know, carbon folks who are thinking, oh, you're adding to the problem. <laughs> I, I, ha- I haven't had a gold card for 20 years. Well, it was, it was trendy back then. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell Greta. If Greta hears, then it's, I'm one of the baddies, yes. <laughs> but no, I, I agree. We, we've learned. I mean, in the same way we were talking just now about if we don't know, we can't change. We didn't know about carbon. We didn't know about plastics. We were just blind to it because it wasn't a conversation people were having. Or if they were, we weren't listening or it wasn't being said in a way we could hear it. And there's a whole load of things that we're probably still doing that we'll learn in the years to come that we shouldn't have done. And that's that's about trying to be waking up to everything, isn't it? Yeah. And and I think the awareness and the willingness to say, hey, I don't always get it right. In fact, lots of times I get it wrong. Here's here's my mistake or error of judgment. Here's how I want to put it right. And so, so if you don't mind, I'll apologize right now for using the word insane about 10 minutes ago. You maybe heard me hesitate before I said it. And there were three similar words I could have used, all insulting in a mental health sense. So, you know, I'm really aiming to become more self-aware and more thoughtful about these things. But, you know, we're going to put a foot wrong. We're, we're human. And that's what it's all about is, you know, acknowledge your humanity and and celebrate and give yourself a pat on the back every time you choose to behave in a more resourceful way. That's the best way I can put it. Every time you do something that is heading in in the way you want to be living your life, whatever that is, you know, more thoughtful, more caring, more inclusive, more generous, whatever. Just recognize that and give yourself that pat on the back. Yeah, completely. And I, I think we're setting ourselves an unwinnable target if we think we have to be right first time every time. It's about learning. It's about making mistakes. It's about, I always say it's about being accountable. So if, if I know I've made a mistake, I apologize. I acknowledge it. I put that right rather than pushing it away saying, oh, don't, oh, come on. Only joking doesn't matter. It does matter to people. And in the same way that I've, I've learned there are certain words or phrases that people many people believe or, or feel are racist. And I've d- looked up entomology and I find some of the definitions questionable, whether it is or isn't. But rather than argue with somebody about whether something is or isn't racist, I, I say to myself, you feel it is. I, I don't need to argue about that. I can, I can use a different word or phrase. It doesn't matter. It doesn't cost me anything to ad- adopt my language. I don't need to argue whether it is or isn't racist. I just accept it is for you. In which case, I will never use that phrase again. And I, but, in the same yeah, way, that's because you care. That's because you care enough to do it. And so, you know, having the intention to care, having the intention to, you know, behave in this thoughtful and resourceful way, it, it's wonderful when people have, are enlightened like yourself and they care enough. Um, and so, we're here doing this work to open the doors. I say to enlighten. Um, not that we're enlightened, <laughs> but we're enlightening. And that's the work that, that needs to be done. 
right? Open the door and more light will come in. There was, um, there was a real uh, fantastic quote. I've just finished reading Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. And um, one of the quotes that I highlighted was, I'm going to paraphrase if I don't get it right, but um, it, we, we need to appreciate the cracks. That's how the light gets in. I love that. Yeah, you know we're not perfect. No, that's that's yeah. No, we're not perfect. I, I also learned about uh, the indigenous people from northern Canada and that part of the world, and the term I'd used for years was offensive, and it meant eat raw fish or something. It was kind of a really stereotyping word, and I've learned the new word Inuit is it? I think which is the, the, the name we use now. I'm very conscious about making sure that I retrain my brain every time I want to use the old word, remember the meaning, remember how insulting it is, remember how stereotyping it is, and, and choose the choose the name that they describe themselves by, that they respect themselves by. And, and that's all we can do. Learn that new word. Practice it, practice it, practice it. In your head, you get it wrong. You, you, you catch yourself before it comes out. Yeah. And yeah. You, you get in the habit of saying things. <laughs> if you can catch yourself before it comes out, not yeah. like me yeah. a few minutes ago. Um, I want to um, I want to ask you about the word woke because my PR company has a whole campaign going on. I was called woke. I had to look it up because I'm not very trendy or anything cool or anything. I didn't even know what it was. I was like, oh. And I started saying to them as we were planning our marketing for this year, I said, but I'm, I'm happy to be woke. In fact, I'm proud to be woke. So our hashtag is now woke and proud. But well, what is your take on that? Um, I see people banding it around as an insult or as a slur. It's almost like a putting you down. Oh, that's just woke. It's like a snowflake. You're woke. Right. And I, I, I sat there. I Googled it like many of us probably did. I've looked, researched the word. And a phrase I love is woke is obviously woken, awoken is it where it comes from. So the opposite of woke is asleep. Right. I don't want to be asleep. Right. I don't want to let the world pass me by. Therefore, I'm proud to be awoken. Yay. To be wakened up to the world. So I, I'm, I'm proud, if you want to call me woke, in the context of aware, forward thinking, and not asleep at the wheel. Great. That's me. Great. That's how I see the word woke. It's, it, it's a it's a state of mind to be aware of the surroundings, aware of language, aware of environmental, aware of sustainability, aware of the future of the planet. I think that's that's the positive angle of woke. And yeah, I'm woke. Woke and proud. So hashtag woke and proud. Yeah. Everybody who's listening, <laughs> we'd welcome your support with this. <laughs> I'm just going to write that down. Welcome, proud. Yeah. I'll, make, I'll make sure I tag that into the. I'm not going to be the only person who uses that. I'm not, I'm not the only woke and proud person on planet Earth. So we we need to you know we need to shift that. Woke is a great thing to be. <laughs> it's not, but, but people weaponize it. They're trying to yeah. insult you by saying, "Oh, you're one of the woke crowd." Yeah, I am. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> why? <laughs> Let me explain why. Yeah. I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I'm not asleep. I'm not asleep. Won't be asleep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we met, what, three or four years ago at a PSA, Professional Speaking Association meeting, didn't we? Yes. And I think when we met, you were telling me about your TEDx. Mm. You, you happy to talk about your TEDx? I am very happy yeah? talking about the TEDx, which is now four years ago. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, people can look it up. Uh, shall I spoil the 
the ending. No, no, t- t- I mean, I remember the conversation we had initially about how you told me about the circumstances that led up, yes, and how you how you became woke about yeah what you were talking well, about. You know what? Look, it won't be a surprise, but that that's fine. Look, I think it's still a powerful talk, even if people know what's coming up. Uh, the thing is, I have a son who's transgender, and it's not even a word I knew. Same as woke, I, the first time I heard it, I thought, what is it? But I had to uh, definitely figure it out because this is my son, this is a member of my family. And my journey, the, the point about the TEDx talk was to show that I don't feel that I made the most resourceful choices in my behavior. Uh, I didn't cope the way I would have liked to. I didn't act like the person I thought I was or the person I wanted to be. And it took me a while to come round to it and accept and unconditionally accept him. And, you know, it's so crazy talking about it now, but I had to, oh, there we go. It's so different talking about it now. And I didn't want there to be um, an association that there was something wrong with me or him or it wasn't. It, I used it as a jumping off place to talk about how when things happen or when something occurs to us, we feel whatever we feel, but we can choose to act. So, you know, it, it didn't take me as long as uh, as long as it could have done, but it was really about the message that came out of it. You know, if if you're not happy with your own behavior or something about yourself that you can choose, you can you know, think about it, be thoughtful. Do you want to learn, um, you know, unconditional love and acceptance? Is it possible that just if you look at it differently, that that changes the way you look at it? Or do you need to change the situation or something about yourself? And that was my big realization. So obviously my son was changing, you know, a big thing about himself and it gave me the chance to change a lot about myself. It wasn't a situation I ever expected to be in. And thank you for asking me to talk about it. The talk has really opened so many doors for me to have conversations with other people, um, people from lots of different paths. So, um, yeah. That's, that was my journey based on my son's journey. I, I Obviously, I experienced that journey for myself the other way around. So I was, the, I was in the center, and I, it took me a long while to realize the impact I had on others. So at the beginning, I came from a world where my echo chamber says, it's all about YOLO, it's one life, your life, get on with it, you only live once. Um, if everyone doesn't accept you, cut them loose and move on. So that's the peer pressure you get within my community at the time, basically saying, just push on ahead and don't care about anybody else's feelings. And what happened to me was I, I started to realize the impact I had on those close to me, my, my wife, my, my two children, my daughter, my son, my mother, my father, my brother, and also the people who had known me for 20 or 30 or 40 years. I completely underestimated my impact on them. And I think in the same way I I became awoken to the needs and feelings of others where I had never probably considered those feelings in the same way ever in the past. And I had to accept that people needed to get to know me again. 
I couldn't just demand recognition. I couldn't just demand acceptance. I couldn't demand anything. What I found was I had to reestablish, reconnect. Um, I, went, I remember saying to my wife, probably about four years ago, in a moment of sadness, you'll never be proud of me again because we're going through that tough time in my life. I felt that I was an embarrassment. I felt like I wrecked her life. I felt that everything we were going through was really causing us so much pain. And I remember probably three, two and a half years ago when she said, I'm really proud of you. And the emotional release that gave me was I'd, I'd finally earned her respect and trust. And she was proud of me. But it took my daughter even longer. And my daughter's getting married in six weeks' time. And our relationship broke down to the point where she completely rejected me. She completely switched off about me. She wouldn't She wouldn't speak to me. She wouldn't return any of my calls. It, you know, to paraphrase, I was dead to her effectively in the way she put it. And we went out for coffee the other night. We, we reconnected about a year ago. We went out for a meal, coffee in Brighton Marina. And we, she wanted to talk to me about that phase of our life together and how she felt going into it and how I felt. And we, we both sat there in a, in a restaurant in Brighton crying our eyes out. We went for a drive through McDonald's afterwards and had a McFlurry and we cried in the car park. And we really just bonded. But I think what happened was we, we, we failed to communicate at the right point and that, that failed to communicate. There was an assumption, there was a feeling and, my daughter had massive anxiety at attack about addressing the problem. She knew she couldn't, so she walked away. And I'd never had a relationship with my daughter where she wouldn't talk to me. We had not We had a kind of a, a hot relationship where we were either at each other's throats and really dealing with things and, and shouting and screaming at each other and really working on the issue live and hot, or we were hugging. And so I'd never had the point, I'd never understand, I never understand her that she could disengage and bury her head in the sand and, and hide the, the problem. And I didn't know how to deal with that. And when we, we talked about it the other night, we both unpacked that, discovered it. And I learned something about her that I never knew. And I completely empathize and I know where she's coming from now. And I can actually see it in other things she did, how she used to hide her homework. Now, when she was given the task of ironing, she used to hide the ironing in a cupboard until we found it a month later. So she was a very much a head in the sand person. And I, I never saw that. And I think without that conversation and me waking up to her needs as an individual, I'd never discovered that. Hmm. Well, again, you both had the intention because you both cared. So, you know, in, in your case, you could have said, oh, whatever, you know, living my life. And she, thank goodness, you know, realized that it was important to have to reconnect with you. You know, we, we, um, we're all on a journey and, and it takes, it takes two to tango, as they say, and you can do what you can do. Um, if anybody listening to us feels they're not accepted or they don't belong to bring that word in, you can only do so much. Um, again, in the Brene Brown, it's, it's so fresh in my mind, but I know I have to quote the study that she did the difference between belonging and fitting in. I'm sure you know it. I'm sure you quote it yourself. It, you know, belonging is you being part of a group where they also want you there. And um, and if you're not, then, and you're not fitting in, 
you know, you want to belong, but it's not happening, then you have some choices to make. And, you know, it does go back to what I was saying about um, unconditional love and acceptance of the situation or yourself or them or change something about it. So we always have that choice. I think for me, fitting in is forcing yourself into a hole where you almost fit. Whereas belonging is that hole is just for you. It's your hole. You create the space and the space absorbs you around you, where whoever you are, the psychological safety, the showing up, the, the real you. But fitting in is you're always compromising that the edges are slightly, the, you can't quite go there. You're, you're slightly square edges in a round hole sort of thing. That's the fitting in. You're, you're always worried about compromise. It's the fitting in, trying to fit in is stressful, whereas belonging just is. You you know you have a sense of belonging when and you know it it's um it goes back to what I was saying before. You know, people have certain uh I don't know what you call them criteria or or just aspects that they are using to figure out if they belong with, with someone else or if they're part of that group or if we have things in common. But if you expand your definition and your understanding of the whole person, chances are, you know, you, you, you do belong together in, in, you know, in pretty much any situation you can be with someone else. There's very few people that I couldn't form a connection with. Um, and, I, and, and I have connections with, I was going to say <laughs> a word that I'm not sure is right. I was going to say psychopath. But I have no idea. I'm not a psychologist, and I'm not going to say if the person I'm thinking about is one or not. All I can say is that it takes an extra effort with some people, and then I have a choice. Do I want to make that extra effort? And if I do and they don't, then we're still in a bit of a bind. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it is fun. Is there empathy? Is there compassion yeah, to be yeah. truly to be truly give, want to give time to other people? And, yeah. yeah, as you say, that word you use, psychopath, the traits there are there is no empathy. There is no consideration of others. It's all about right. personal self, if you like. But can you have empathy for that person? So that, you know, that this is a lot of the work I do is around uh, being thoughtful, even when others aren't showing respect, even when someone does not. And, you know, caring about someone, even when it's pretty obvious they don't care about you. This is the gritty stuff that I like working with, you know, and, and it's, it comes down to your intention and your choices. Yeah, I, I met, I mean, I'm, I'm, you may know this lady as well. I met somebody at a PSA, Professional Speaking Association Scotland meeting, and she was married to a, a multiple bigamist who obviously had um, psychopathic, sociopathic instincts because they had no empathy for the situation they were causing. And I remember her saying, that it's like blaming the lion for eating the antelope. The, the lion doesn't have feelings for the antelope. We may go, ah, oh, that's so sad. But the lion is doing what it does naturally. So you can't blame the lion for doing what it does. So a sociopath or psychopath, you can't blame them necessarily for being that way. That's just the way their brain is. You, so you, it's, not a, it's not a blame thing. It's just acknowledging this person doesn't have empathy. I can't change that. I, I, I have to accept in the same way that I want them to accept I have empathy. I have to accept they don't have empathy. Mm. And we can agree to differ on that. Or I, I, I learned to manage that relationship. So I'm, I have safety in my own feelings and they don't absorb me. Yeah, so it's acknowledging that difference of character, difference of thinking, difference of, and not treating it as a, 
they're bad, I'm good. Right. That's a bias again, isn't it? That's our own bias of kicking. Whatever, whatever I do is good, and whatever someone else does is bad. And I have to go, no, you're just the lion. I'm just the antelope. There's no remorse. It's just the way you are. And if I if I let you eat me, you will eat me. That's fine. I know that. I'm stepping away now. <laughs> well, thank you for leading straight into one of my topics, um, because in The Thoughtful Leader, I talk about the bubble. And it's it is a very interesting concept because a lot of people are saying you shouldn't have yourself in a bubble, but the bubble is all around psychological safety. The bubble is all about you making sure that you are not being influenced uh, in a negative way by people who are in your sphere of influence. So we sometimes don't even realize who and what is influencing us. So <laughs> that comes back to, again, open your eyes, be awake, be woke and see what's happening. And then if you realize that you know somebody is behaving in a certain way and you aim to have that thoughtful conversation and they're not playing, you have your choice. And step away is a valid response. So we do not have to engage with every single person in every single situation. That That's a lot of pressure that people put on themselves. However, it's it's a spectrum of a, of a certain kind because if you disengage to the point where you're totally protected, you you feel totally safe, but you never talk to a living soul and you don't leave your house and you you know that that's you're missing out on some really beautiful aspects of humanity. I feel maybe some people don't think that way, but you know I, I think there's it's somewhere in the middle. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I'm, Often when I talk to people in in, in my inclusion, inclusion and belonging work, there's this fear of getting it wrong. There's also this fear of if it's too enormous. How do I include everybody? I say, well, actually, inclusion is not about including everybody. And it, it comes back to the, the idea, if you've heard of this, the freedom principles, fairness, respect, equality, dignity, and autonomy. So when you're making a decision about whether whether to include or exclude somebody, are you being fair? Are you giving opportunity and choice and equality? Are you making sure that you're, you're dignifying them with the with way you're treating them? And if you could apply that test to every decision you make, and you don't, and you feel that somebody isn't for you, then you've done it fairly. You haven't. You've been subjective. You haven't been unkind. You haven't been. You haven't manipulated them or anything like that. So that's the test I would use. And, and when we think about it in the recruitment process, you can't hire everybody. So as long as your recruitment process is fair equitable you've got opportunities for all people and you don't get the job because you don't have the best skills that's you're still included in the process you just didn't make it to the end i think that's the mistake people make is they've got to try and make everybody feel included mm. but it's about being fair about who is selected who does have the opportunity and i think that's what we've got to try and think about here is is the, the mindset that goes into our thought are always thinking is that fair is that kind we may make a judgment. You know, we see people in the street, oh, I don't like her shoes. Oh, that's a, <laughs> that handbag doesn't go with that dress. And there's a little micro judgments we make all the time, but it's, it's stopping it coming out of your mouth. Because <laughs> you go, that's, that's, that's unkind. That's not fair. That, that has no value to anybody. I just keep that thought to myself and train myself to, to try and ignore that next time. And, and that, and that's because you can't, you can't expect people to not have biases. Biases are there. You can't expect people to not have judgments because judgments and biases are all part of us evaluating the world around us. What it's about doing is how we manage though and how it comes out when we talk. And that's what we've got to be careful of. Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing that up. Um, 
you and I meet a lot of influencers, and I don't mean you know celebrity types. We people who have influence in the sense that they are organizing events, they have tickets for things, they have opportunities, collaborations, podcast interviews. So I think when we open up the opportunity to everybody, we are inclusive. And so it's creating the space. It's about creating the opportunity. And then the people who step in, um, well, that's up to them. Where we have an issue is where we think we're being inclusive, but the other party doesn't feel that it is an equitable situation, which is a perception, because maybe because that particular conference has always had a certain type of speaker. They all look the same, sound the same, smell the same. So, you know, the person who's kind of standing on the edge thinks, well, um, there's no point applying because it's pointless. I'm not going to get that opportunity. I'm not going to get that gig. Um. I can see that because I've I've had those thoughts myself. Where I think, oh, do I want to bang my head against the wall? Uh, no, <laughs> even though it does feel better when you stop. Uh, I don't want to be the person who stops myself getting an opportunity. So, you know, I just sort of take a deep breath and, and charge in again. And, you know, we have to make an extra effort. So I guess my point is, We have to make an extra effort as the organizer of that opportunity or event or whatever. In my case, being a publisher, 80% of our publishing slots are dedicated, allocated, and reserved for people from underrepresented groups. 80%, non-negotiable. That was my big aha moment two years ago, and we've stuck to that. And if you're in that position of influence or, or you have that privilege, which it is, um, to stick to it, make it really clear. Everybody's welcome. So, you know, when I get pushback, I say, well, we still have 20% available to people who are not from underrepresented groups. It's just, you know, there's a lot of other places where you can publish a book. We're aiming to, to, you know, improve that part of the industry. Um, And then if you're the person who is thinking, oh, is it worth applying? Is it even? Yes. I might, my answer would be yes, it's always worth putting yourself forward. It might be an extra effort. Um, but imagine if you get that and you pave the way for other people and show that it's possible. Wouldn't you like to inspire others? Mm. No, for sure. I, I, I think I, I dropped in on your conference you organized recently. It's more US time zone based, I believe. I think I was, I was helping one of your conference organizers with their tech and so I got a link and I just dropped in, had to listen to a few sessions. And you had a very balanced uh, set of speakers. I, I would probably say it leaned more female than male from the, from the ratio. And when people say that it's, I mean, I hear this all the time. It's just so difficult to find good women speakers. It's so difficult to find good black lawyers. It's so difficult mm-hmm. to find da, 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 da. And I say, if you're not winning games, change the manager, and then you start winning games. If you if you can't get a diverse lineup, you can't get a diverse workforce, change the hiring manager, change the booker, change that. Because I guarantee you, if you put a, a, a woman in charge of a speaking event, you'll get more women. If you put a black person in charge, you get more black people. Yeah. And when I was talking to this recruitment consultant, they said it's really hard to find good black lawyers with this specialism. I said, well, there are black-led lawyers legal firms that have black lawyers and I bet they don't have trouble finding them. So it's about 
getting into the community, understanding the value proposition, mm. yeah. speak the language, sound attractive, the brand of the organization. And if you're not getting attract, if you're not attracting people, look in the mirror, look at who you are, look at what you stand for, because it's you that's not attractive. <laughs> <laughs> well, for our conference, we did allocate 80% of the speaking slots to people from underrepresented groups. That was our intention, and that's what we did. So thank you for noticing. I really appreciate that. We had people from every community. We had people, I, I'm not sure how well we did in the LGBTQ plus community, because we we have certain, um, well, we can't have a quota for each yet because it's, it is quite difficult to find just the right number of people. But we opened it up. We made it clear. We, I actually do talk about it, which is it does sound very woke and almost non-PC to say we want you um, because you're from a minority group. I mean, but I, I've just got used to having those conversations. Not we want you. We, we, we especially want you because you're from that group and you're a good speaker. So it, as long as I'm coming from the right place, as long as I have the right intention, it, everybody raved about the conference. I don't know who else noticed because some people would just be like, okay, those were the 20 speakers. Would they notice that 16 were not middle-aged white men, middle-aged straight white men? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Able-bodied. Anyway, you, you, you get the idea. We didn't, we opened it up and we manage that. Um, it is a choice and it is extra effort. And some people are thinking, oh, you know, I don't, I don't know how, and, and I, mean, I don't really have time to put in the extra effort. But then again, you know, <laughs> this is going to reflect on you. Yeah. No, completely, I completely agree. I, I, as I say, I did notice because, I, I mean, first of all, I noticed because the lead MC was female um all of the organizing committee were female uh so i knew i knew how it was being structured and organized therefore it was inclusive by default rather than inclusive as an afterthought you weren't trying to bolt in other people after the event it was started off with that as the framework and i think that's the problem some people make is they they try and reverse engineer the diversity mm. quotient no i mean tokenize sorry i only run one conference a year i can't afford to play, you know, tokenism, because if, if that conference doesn't achieve everything that we hope for, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to continue in future. We've got big plans. It's um, People are wondering what we're talking about. It's called the Above and Beyond Thoughtful Leadership Conference. It's all about thoughtful leadership. So we kind of have to walk our talk. And um, we will get you to speak at one of the conferences, Joe, for sure. <laughs> so we're. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I guess we still have a little time. I don't know what other question you have for me, but I could... I was going to go back to the title of the show. <laughs> okay. About creating this level playing field. Um, it's easy for us to say as as white people with privilege that we're leveling the playing field. I perceive that many people would consider the playing field to be so stacked against them. Mm. We're not even, we haven't even got the, the, the new turf ordered yet. We, we're, we're still trying to, we're still trying to get the diggers in to try and add, add some dirt into that. The, the level playing field is built on well, the, the structural racism, you know, societal. Mm. We look at the stop and search. We look at, we, we talked about the BBC program earlier about the, the inequities in the education system, the opportunities that, that fail to exist. This, this playing field is so bumpy and so stacked against a large part of the community. 
are, are, the, are the privileged people getting more privileged? I mean, there was a thing about the uh, uh, the government departments, the the uh, the senior civil servants, about this velvet drainpipe. How the ratio of privileged middle-aged white men generally sliding straight up this drainpipe into these positions where people who are from the minority communities really are struggling to get into those higher opportunities. So we may be leveling the playing field at the front door, but actually when you get to where it counts, it's still stacked. I think it counts at every stage, to be honest. I, I think um, when you get, when it just becomes the norm and nobody really thinks about it, but they see a truly diverse organization or group or team, then, you know, you, you have a diverse group who, who are all, you know, aiming to move up. Then you can address it at the next level and then the next level. And then, so it, it, it's like you said, you know, you, you can't tackle the whole thing all at once. You, you can't, you know, say, well, I have to include everybody. That's a big ask. That's a lot of stress. It's like boiling the ocean. Not going to happen. Never. Well, I don't know. The climate change folks might say it's happening. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the dinosaurs thought that and then it kind of happened, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. we, you know, being enlightened about these things is the first step. It, acknowledging that you're a caring person and then asking yourself, are you willing to do a little bit more? Yes, it's tough. Yes, it's bumpy. There's no turf. Way. Get your shin pads on and get in there and play. Play the game. Just enter the fray. Um, it, it, yeah, it's hard, and a lot of people won't go for it. But then, that's that's kind of Pareto, you know, the eighty twenty principle. Eighty percent of, of people are just happy, you know, ticking along, doing their thing, keeping their heads down, and you know. But the twenty percent who think, yeah, you know what, I could do more, I could create more, I could create more opportunities, I could help more, I could speak and use my influence in a positive way, yes, you can. And uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm on a, a political podium here. Yes, you can. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> good. <laughs> the, the soapbox is out. Let's go for it. Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, I often say, and it, it can sound a bit cliche if you're not careful, that you can't change the world, but you can change the one. Be the one. Be the one person that says, not on my watch. Yes. I can make a difference personally. And then yeah, to, to coin a kind of a COVID phrase, become infectious, get the R number of inclusion, the I number if you want, up to, up to two, infect people with your ethos of inclusion, belonging, leveling the playing field. So then the one becomes the many. And we can do that one at a time. And the other thing I often say is a snowflake on its own hits the ground and melts. A snowflake with its friends becomes an avalanche. Avalanches change landscapes. So be that part of that avalanche of, of momentum and be the one that joins in. I love that. Um, I, I use a snowball metaphor, but it, it's saying the same thing. Um, the only thing I would add to that is focus on yourself, do your thing, You know, think about your intentions, put extra thought and care into your interactions, go out there, put it out into the world and be be thoughtfully inclusive and equitable and, and create that. What happens after that? We need to almost let go of that because I feel very strongly that uh, we cannot really control how our message lands, how people will react to what we're doing and saying. 
So just remember your influence is all about what you put out there. And if you do your best with the best intentions, it, it will have that effect. But um, just just keep your eye on yourself because I do see a lot of people getting upset when they don't seem to get the traction and they, they know they you, know, you won't always, um, but keep doing it anyway. That's what I would say. Brilliant. And those words of inspiration, I think we'll, uh, we'll let our listeners um, check the show notes out. So how, how can people get hold of you and tell people a bit more about what you do before we move on? So how do they get hold of you? Uh, hold of me, mindygk.com. It's my supposed to be my official website. There are so many other places, though, where people can find me. I'm trying to use Mindy GK here and there because um, people spell my last name in a funny way and then they don't find me. Uh, the Thoughtful Leader. The Thoughtful Leader has many formats of the book, ebook, audiobook, as well as my podcast, as well as my clubhouse club called The Thoughtful Leaders, plural, because we want it to be more inclusive, not just one. Uh, and reach out. I have a very inclusive and expansive connection and relationship strategy. Until I get up to my limit on any social network, I'm open. Uh, if someone abuses it, they're cut off. But until then, you know, connect with me. I would love to chat more about these topics. I suppose if anyone's got a book inside them, they're dying to bring out to the world look you up yes and if if you can't help you know people that could help well especially if they're not a typical (laughs) if they're from an underrepresented group so i do i do run three companies i i run the thoughtful leadership company where i do my speaking and training on these topics i also run a book coaching company that is going strong 19 years now of running the book midwife and the book midwife is a metaphor. I'm not a real midwife. So don't call me in the middle of the night about the baby. And I run Panoma Press Publishing Company. So Panoma Press is uh, the publisher for business, self-help and life story type books that, yeah, 80% are authored by people from underrepresented groups. So I would love to speak with anyone about any of those things. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. I, I'm sure we could have talked for another couple of hours. There's lots we could have covered and absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. And of course, a thank you to the listener for tuning in and, and getting to this point in the, in the podcast. Thank you for sticking with it. And if you haven't subscribed, please do subscribe to keep updates on future episodes of the Inclusion Bites podcast. That's B-I-T-E-S. Tell your friends. I'm sure you have a couple. Tell your colleagues. Spread the word and share. I've got a number of other exciting guests lined up that I'm sure you'll also be inspired by over the next few weeks and months. And of course, if you'd like to be a guest, if you've got some inspiration or a story you'd like to tell, then join me. I'd also welcome any feedback and suggestions on how we can improve the show. Just email me. My name is joe.lockwood at cjnchapman.co.uk. And it's been an absolute pleasure to host this podcast for you today. Catch you next time. Bye. <laughs>